Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath. I'm John F. O'Donnell, JFOD. Excited to be here connecting with all of you. Um, We're going to get into a bunch of things. Last episode, I mentioned that I really wanted to try to uh, explore and discuss the difference between bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. So I'm going to give you a very non-expert assessment of that, and we can, uh, yeah, try to figure that out. I think I'm going to keep revisiting that as I learn more and get into more and more nuance of it. Because I was looking at the DSM-5 criteria, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, number five version. Um, and there's so many different diagnoses and sub-diagnoses and different things like that, that it's pretty clinical and uh, wonky. So when I wrap my head around it more, I'm sure that I can find something hilarious and cynical to make fun of uh, that all of those doctors have collectively worked so hard to uh, put into text. Uh, but before we get into that, Oh my goodness, I, uh, I went on a Tinder date last night that is uh, relevant, you know? I'm not just going to use this as a platform to uh, talk shit about bad Tinder dates. Andrea's give him in the eye like, yeah, you probably are, but I'm not. Oh, by the way, Andrea Allen is here producing. Hey, Andrea. Yo. Yeah. So the reason that I'm bringing this up, and I'm not going to talk much about this date because I don't want to just, I'm not going to trash this person, and this person is very, very nice. Name, names. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but I think it's uh, I think it's something, something that she said it was really funny, and I think it's like a reflection of me needing to really not take myself so seriously. It's what? pretty wild. Oh my God, um, I love this woman already. Yeah. So. Is it me in a blonde wig? <laughs> <Be> like, <laughs> Don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, no. Um, she, uh, I was trying to think of something mean to say about you, but I couldn't. You know what I mean? No, she has a soul or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. So this is kind of, is kind of wild, right? Uh, so we're talking, we're chatting on the app and whatnot. I was like, oh, do you want to get together, grab a drink? She's like, can't tonight, going to the concert unless you want to come, right? And it was like, uh, who is it? And she said, Titus Andronicus, mm. who I wasn't familiar with, but they're fucking awesome. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go. It was like an hour and a half before the concert. You know what I mean? I had to get a ticket and everything. Uh, and I fucking did it, you guys. I did some Carpe Diem. Nice. And I went there, and the show was amazing, and now I'm a fan of this band that I wasn't aware of. Maybe I should have been aware of because they're great, but mm-hmm. now I am. And uh, they got this really cool, like, uh, punk rock sound, hard rock sound. Like, they're right in this, like, sweet spot in between, and the dude's got this f- fucking crazy vocal fry voice that I have no idea how he actually does it. Whatever. But, uh... <laughs> I was like, okay, that's cool. I was like, now I know why musicians get way more, you know, pussy, pussy and or dick than uh, yeah, than um, comedians, whatever. They're magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so here's okay. So here's what she said. Now, this person is like um, 
very competent, very confident, you know, competent, like a uh, person who's achieved a lot of things. Uh, and then she, but she was also, she was telling me about different mental health struggles and stuff like that. And I'm not going to go into any of the specifics, but she was saying a whole bunch of different things. Name diseases. See, that's what I'm not even going to do that. That's not even the point of this, right? Okay. Uh, plus, I did not ask her at all if it was okay for me to talk about her on a podcast. So I'm not, but I am, but only this thing. Okay. So she says all of this sort of stuff and I'm listening and I'm like, wow. I'm like, that. that is a lot. And then just for sort you of- you to say that, that's woo. Lord exa- almighty. Exactly. We just wait for it, you little monster. But uh, so, so then, then she goes almost as like, an afterthought, like a real side note, like just very matter of factly goes, oh, and also I have bipolar disorder. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's my whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm she like fucking trumped you. Yeah. Oh, dude, totally. She said like all this sort of stuff. And then she's like, oh, yeah. And also I have a bipolar. Like it was like, LOL. like that was her eczema. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like everything else she has. Then she's like, oh, and I have this scratchy skin thing. You Do, know, does she have bipolar one or two? Do you know? Because I feel like bipolar one is much more severe than some of the well, other ones. Interestingly. Well, first of all, uh, I didn't really go in. We didn't I didn't really delve into that. Actually, I think she said one. Yeah, wow. I'm pretty sure. I think that she said one. You're a pussy, if I'm going to huh? be honest, yeah, I'm a real, I'm a real puss. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, actually, now there's something I read recently. They're they're now they're saying that the newest sort of take is that bipolar two disorder is not considered less severe anymore because of how debilitating and disruptive the depressions can be. Yeah, that so makes sense. So they're sort of changing it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You're not the um, king anymore. Yeah, it's all changing. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's like plus the more that I'm looking at this. Everybody's got these mental illnesses. It's it's like weird if you don't at this point. Yeah. And guys, and this is my own shit. I'm starting to notice that like more and more comedians are having it and like it's becoming this yeah. defining thing. And it's like, all right, listen to me. I've been talking about this shit for almost fucking 10 years. I need to immediately corner the mental illness comedy market before yeah. that shit gets saturated. Oh, you know it's what I mean? Saturated, baby. You're saturated. Yeah. Could you imagine? I'm just kidding, guys. I think them, I comedy think, hour. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really amazing podcast. But uh, I actually truly, truly believe the more people that are talking about these uh, issues uh, to normalize them, not to normalize them in the fact that people don't uh, realize that they're important and serious and need, people need to take care of themselves, but normalize them in sort of the thing where it's like, yeah, people are dealing with a lot of different illnesses, physical, mental, and stuff like that. But the stigma about it, the self-shame, the self-loathing, all of that stuff makes it double bad. So if the more and more folks that can talk about it, the better. Uh, but if you find yourself at some point having to parse where you give your mental illness comedy, like Patreon dollars or whatever, you know, <laughs> I know how messes grandfather it in. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, take your pill psychopath. I haven't even set it up yet. Whatever. I don't want to talk about it. But, uh, but, uh, anyway, I just thought it was so funny that she's telling me all this. And also I'm like, Oh, the universe, universe provides. I connect with somebody on Tinder and like we got all these mental illnesses going on, you know? Did you uh, have fun? Did you connect with her? I did. I, I vibe it as this is somebody I would like to be friends with. Mm. Um, that's my sort of takeaway from it. So you didn't want to bang her? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I would, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm but sure. I, but I'd prefer it. I I prefer a friend thing. I gotcha. uh, so I'm not gonna try to like do something like that mm-hmm. bec- if it's not if, if potentially she was gonna like like me like more than that. Okay. Which who knows? Maybe she would. She was like, let's hang out again. You know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, 
But I'm so glad that I went. And it was kind of cool, guys, because I was, for me, it was a real like confidence thing to just to go and do that. To mm-hmm. be like, you know what? Yeah, let's take a chance. I'm going to go to this show um, last minute. You know, I uh, I look at earlier this year how depressed I was. And I know I've so far on, the, on this podcast, I've talked a lot about like the manias because there's, you know, there's like a, there's, they're, they're funny and they're interesting, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the depression is real for me too. Like I've experienced that uh, a lot and it's it's painful and it's isolating. And when you're depressed, when I'm depressed, you want to self-isolate so much. And earlier this year, from all the crazy shit that I was in, there was a number of months uh, over the summer into the early fall where I was – Oh yeah, yeah. I was even. I guess it was like yeah. Spring into early fall was so so sad and miserable and alone and isolated. The idea of even connecting with people I care about and love and know and have had extended relationships with was overwhelming and daunting. So for me to be able to go and do something like this uh, is is a little benchmark for myself to see where I'm at, and I feel good about that. And I think. Anybody else that's maybe coming out of a depression and is sort of re-engaging socially, uh, it's important for us to appreciate uh, those moments and those experiences and be proud of ourselves for things like that. Um, so, yeah, and Titus Andronicus, whoa, dude, uh, it was cool. And I'm reading about the guy and the band, I think his name is... Uh, Patrick Stickles. Um, and uh, was he singing directly to you? You're the <laughs> Messiah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's yet to be seen. You know what I mean? Do you think they'll make it to the next soundtrack? <laughs> Fuck you. I really hope. Okay, this is be infuriating to me. Okay. Hey, John, John, to future John, if you're ever manic again, uh, Titus Andronicus is never going to write a song about you. <laughs> There's no songs by Titus Andronicus about you. Uh, listeners, uh, fellow uh, psychos, ooh, take your pills, psychopaths. What's up? Psych- okay, well, yeah, we're all psychos now. Yeah, um, your people. What's up, psychos? All right, yeah. cool. Um, I guess we'll have to murder all of Pete Holmes' weirdos. You know what I mean? The psychos take out the weirdos. Mine (laughs) are the army of cunts, so. Yes, and the army of cunts versus the legion of skanks. (laughs) That's what I thought is the funniest thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, I've, what was I saying? Uh, That Titus Andronicus never wrote a song about you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. It is Patrick Stiggles. I looked it up. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Do me a favor, uh, listener psychos, friends of the show, um, (laughs) TYPPers, like do, if, I am manic. Just like send me a message being like, Titus Andronicus uh, is not writing any songs about oh, you. Oh, I'm sure you'll be so <laughs> amiable to suggestion. Um. Anyway, or okay, Can I like the idea of it being like a an emergency video of me being <laughs> like, John, if you're watching this video, something has gone horribly wrong. Would that work? Do you no, <laughs> this is not some sort of con video in order for you to use me to convince everybody around you that you're listening and are aware, I swear. You're like getting it. No, <laughs> that's not what I would say in order for that to happen. Oh, we're fucked. All right. Would you... When you're manic, I was talking, I was actually talking to Emily Lubin about the last time that I was hanging out with you when you were in a manic episode. Lubination? Yeah, with Lubination, um, which was in New York. Not the last episode, but the episode before. Yeah. And um, 
And I was like, No, it was the episode before. Wait, oh no, no, you're right. It was the one before. Yeah, yeah. It when was, you got me the hotel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I don't know. Like, I obviously I, I checked you in a, a hotel because I didn't want you to be sleeping on the streets. Um, yeah, but, but I feel like I was gonna maybe be able to sleep in the basement of the creek in the cave. That's what I was hoping for, but they were not. Rebecca wasn't answering. Yeah, and yeah, was it like, was I, a very it was it was ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to like leave him fucking. Anyways, no, it was really, and you were a good friend. No, I mean, it's I would do it again. My my point is when I mean, you didn't like come in and hook up with me or whatever, which <laughs> oh, was much to your chagrin. Really <laughs> fucked up. I was really going through something, Andrea. Uh, yeah, you you're, know, you're right. And you just left me there. I owe you. To I owe take you. A my shower <laughs> and jerk off and go to bed watching the fresh prince of bel-air the hilarious okay yeah, i did watch the french fish bill i remember that somehow. did you yeah yeah i mean i but i'm like emily's like when he's like that do you try to like do you try to be like hey john maybe you're having a manic episode and i'm like well i don't know necessarily that me saying that would stop it do you know what i mean are do people if people intervene when you're mid mania are they able to sway your views at all or do you just need to be medicated in the story? I think that there's a window of a time where I'm aware that things are starting to slip and that my thoughts are racing and I can't sleep and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and it could potentially be nipped in the bud by me just getting my sleep pattern on, on track or potentially – um, getting some sort of change in medication pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. And then I think there's a window where I will listen to the people. But for me, the window is relatively small. Like sometimes it can be a matter of, 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 of a couple of weeks, maybe less. Okay. Um, and then it, it crosses the threshold where somehow the mentality becomes like, no, I'm on some sort of like other level. I'm on some sort of, uh, whatever, I don't know, whatever trip I'm on or something like that, when I hear it, it doesn't resonate or I think that it's someone that doesn't really understand the uh, intensity or sort of immediacy or or dire nature of the world Mm -hmm. that's going on. So I'll just either give them lip service Mm -hmm. or I'll just sort of argue with them about it or just spin around and hang out with other people. Sure, Uh, yeah. So it's really weird and dangerous and strange. And, you know, it just seems like creatively the next turn that Titus Andronic is going to take is probably going to be like JFOD based music, <laughs> sure, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Which is going to complicate things down the line. Now, what I want, just kidding, just kidding, you guys. But uh, what I wanted to say yes. was that, so I'm reading there all the bio of the band on Spotify and, and it said a few years ago, they came out with like a 93 minute five act rock opera about a manic depressive man who meets his double. And I was like, holy shit, it's all over the place. You know what I mean? Manic depression. I'm like furiously Googling to see if this is real. I'm like, no, John, no. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, so that was all, all that stuff happened. I was like, oh, (laughs) one more thing. So afterwards, like he's his like the fans of that band. They are really, really, uh, they really, really love uh, love that band, and they're 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 really passionate about that music, and they're they're clearly like uh, these these lovable music nerds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so everybody's lining up, get, taking pictures, and getting like you know like vinyl signed and stuff like that. And uh, Brooklyn, yeah. Well, actually, it was that about I was at Bowery Ballroom, so it was. Mm. Uh, Manhattan. Manhattan. <laughs> it doesn't really roll off the tongue as much. No. Uh, so I was like, 
ooh, I'm going to write on a napkin. I'm going to give him like the, uh, I'm going to give him the website to my standup album and the promo code. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, here, you know, I was like, that was so great. It was like something I want to give back to you. It's like, this is nice. this thing. And he was super endearing and like warm about it and everything cool. like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, always be giving out promo codes to your standup. Even special. on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did I talk about that last time? No, you've talked to, to me about it and I've Oh yeah, you guys. Eyes. Okay. That's funny. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, my little, and then we'll move on to this thing. My little protest thing on Tinder or not protest. I don't know. My little, for my little win for me is when I match with somebody uh, which is not happening that often. And when it does, I'm like, what's going on here? And I'll send a message. Oftentimes I'm not getting messages back mm. or I'll get an initial thing. And it's, then it's just like, a, it's, a, it's nothing's happening here. And I'm like, what am I doing with my fucking time here? You know? So then when I know that this going to happen or if nobody hasn't responded to like the one message or two messages I send or five, no, it's never been five. Mm-hmm. It's never been more than two mm-hmm. without a response. Mm-hmm. Or three. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I'm not going nuts on it. But uh, no. then the last thing I'll do, you guys, is I will send just a link to the trailer of my stand-up special, and then I'm out. Nice. You know what I mean? Grassroots. Yeah. I love it. That's mm-hmm. how uh, the um, It's a Comedy podcast, you know, that part of our show? Yeah. That comes about. That came about because we were trolling people on Tinder uh, to try to get them to subscribe to the show. And yeah. then be like, Hey, do you want to like meet up later? And be like, it's a comedy podcast. It's a comedy pod. We just kept sending it's a comedy podcast until we got banned from Tinder. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess you can't overtly promote on Tinder, right? You can't, but you can get away with it for a long time if you're yeah. a hot chick. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So uh, that was that part. Um, I, uh, uh, okay, so yeah, I was trying to go through the DSM-5 and look at the differences between uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and schizoaffective disorder. And as I was saying, uh, it's it's pretty wonky and stuff like that. But I, uh, I as bef- right before as I'm getting into this, I do want to say, and we talked about this briefly last time, that I think it sucks that the the stigma around uh, schizophrenia and schizoaffective uh, is even it's it's from my perspective it seems so much more so even than uh, bipolar disorder oh yeah and the thing is it's like yes I know that one of the differences is that schizophrenia is uh, seen to be more severe my understanding from what I've read thus far is that in terms of severity uh, from most severe to least severe uh, none of which being a walk in the park, obviously. It would be like uh, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, uh, you know, bipolar disorder, mood disorder stuff. Um, I think that, okay, obviously, you know, man, when, when bipolar disorder, which for a long time was called manic depression, that has this kind of great sounding, weird, like eccentric artist cachet to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I used to do jokes about that. I used to have a joke uh, where I would talk about how I really preferred the term uh, manic depression to bipolar disorder because it sounds a lot cooler. I sound like a tortured artist compared to like a broken robot. And then I would say like Jimi Hendrix has a really cool song called manic depression. Uh, There's no song called bipolar disorder. That song would suck. Mm -hmm. And then I would do this whole thing. I'd be like, I'd probably go like, and I'd do the whole bipolar disorder song, Mm -hmm. you guys classic signature j bit been in the act 
four years, way before everybody became cool with talking about. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, but uh, yeah, that's um, it's on my uh, my stand up special that uh, Patrick Stickles from Titus Andronicus is watching right now, right now. and yeah. he's actually live. Well, not live. Yeah, he's live tweeting while he's uh, watching it, and he really likes it. And he said it's inspired him to write a number of songs wow. for his new album about me. That's crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Just kidding, guys. But uh, so uh, I think that the name, so when it got changed to bipolar disorder, that became, it's a little bit, it's more clinical and lame and it implies like just feeling like two emotions because it's like bi, like high and low and plus the word disorder, you know. But uh, um, I think that the word schizophrenia sounds so fucking crazy yeah. and insane. It you does know? sound crazy. It's like, the schizophrenias versus the hysterectomies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like two types of like demon monsters. It's like jagged sounding. Yeah, it's right? violent sounding. Schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the schizophrenias and the hysterectomies. It's like two of the scariest words the coming at you. The <laughs> army of cunts versus the legion of skanks. My, the I, weirdos versus the psychos. <laughs> oh, P.S. Speaking of, I was on episode one. 18 of Pete Holmes, you made it weird. If you want to check it out, uh, Ew, the weirdos versus the psychos. There is, um, I have an ex boyfriend who has schizotypal personality disorder, and I remember schizotypal, schizotypal. See, that's another, that's another like sub one yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and it's it's like much less severe, but I, I than schizophrenia, but it's in the same family. It hangs out with the gang. Um, but I remember him telling me about getting that diagnosis and I immediately felt scared around him. And like he wasn't yeah, violent. That's a thing. Yeah. He's not he wasn't ever violent. I mean he's definitely like he harms himself. He has a substance abuse problem and and you know he's he was um he was uh harmful to me in that his actions were very risky and it, it made me uncomfortable but he was never violent in any way towards me but I immediately was afraid he was gonna be violent. And that I feel like yeah. around schizophrenia, there is this fear that they're because some they're, paranoid schizophrenics can be violent, but it's so rare. But it is pop, like they're one of the groups that it that does hurt themselves and others. Yeah, I uh, you know what? And it's crazy because that's something that I wanted to say is that I feel uh I, I feel a stigma towards the schizophrenic label or somebody like that too. Yeah. I would feel that same like bias and slight fear. Yeah. And I have something that's in the same ballpark diagnosis yeah. wise. And I'm very open about that too, but there's still such a shroud of darkness around schizophrenia yeah, that is, yeah. it is the sort of thing where it's like I said last time, my doctor said to me one of my first psychiatrists i saw she was like well you're lucky it's not schizophrenia well you know also they estimate like i so i watch a lot of videos on schizophrenia my mom was married to a schizophrenic and i learned this like years later but so i have like a kind of an interest in it but uh i i was listening to some videos uh like a psych uh professor talking about it and they said they estimate 80 percent of the homeless population is schizophrenic uh, like it's that high level of, of the population. Holy shit. And most, a lot of schizophrenics kill themselves, not when they are in an episode, but when they're lucid because 
they know how bad it is going to get if they go back oh, into an episode. Oh, God, that's so sad. Isn't that heartbreaking? That's so fucked up. Yeah. So it's a sort of thing where I like to think that, though, if that is something that they were able to get proper treatment, had a support system, were able to get things back on track and not be so riddled in the sort of like the shame of it and then also the 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 intensity of difficulty and pain and fear that it's going to be when they're in an episode yeah. that that could not happen. That's because that's so fucked up and it's so unfair. And I, I think I really want to say today, Hey, anybody with schizoaffective or schizophrenia out there, it's like, you know what? I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to come around and understand and see it as it's like, Hey, uh, between episodes, you can have a functional life and you can treat it and it shouldn't be seen mm -hmm. as this death sentence and it shouldn't be something that's more marginalized than other mental illnesses, yeah. you know? Uh, and it's such a difficult thing to deal with potentially, but there's also people that can achieve and do amazing things with it as well. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and it's, it's not your fucking fault. Like, and so my understanding is that schizoaffective is sort of like a hybrid situation of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia where with say schizophrenia, there's the, uh, you know, in addition to the delusions, there's also potentially visual and, um, and, uh, auditory hallucinations and things like that. Do and I'm going to read the thing you sent me. Uh, no, I'm just going to, I'll riff on it for a minute and then okay. I can see. Um, and then there's also a, uh, an aspect of it where they, um, <clears throat> where there's like a potentially like a person, like a feelings, like kind of feelings of, being persecuted against that mm -hmm. they can't get rid of, right? So there's that. So when there's those things, but also coupled with manic or d extended manic or depressive uh, episodes, that's the sort of schizoaffective diagnosis, which potentially sounds like it would be uh, more difficult to deal with than uh, schizophrenia, but it's sort of, I think, seen as being uh, less severe of a diagnosis because uh, there is, there's more lucidity between between episodes and things mm -hmm. like that. I think, um, and uh, and and you know, and sometimes both you know schizophrenia and schizoaffective, and sometimes bipolar disorder are all treated with. Uh, you know, antipsychotics and or mood stabilizers. Mm -hmm. uh, but it looks like with schizophrenia, that's more going to be, uh, you know, treated with antipsychotics. Schizoaffective may even be treated with uh, with lithium, which is the same thing that I am on. And just to, sh just to show it's like, there is, um, yeah, so I guess that outlines the, uh, the differences to an extent. And bipolar disorder is more of the mood disorder thing, but there are, delusional thinking obviously um you know if you've been listening to anything i've said in the past couple of episodes um you know i uh it might be delusional for uh me to think that i'm the uh, the rastafari messiah i don't know, whatever you know what i mean we'll never know we'll never know <laughs> i mean we don't know that i'm not I'm just kidding it's so fucked up but uh so that's uh so that is there is the delusional aspect uh but and at times, though, that's interesting. I have had auditory and visual hallucinations. So I was thinking about that uh, when I've been manic. I would say that that uh, maybe it's because then it hasn't been as 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 extended or as persistent or as uh, as extreme that I don't have a schizoaffective uh, diagnosis. But like I remember having this like weird kind of like a hallucination where I felt like I was being 
sort of like embodied by like John Lennon and Gandhi and Bill Hicks and stuff like that. <laughs> and then another time I thought that I was in this sort of like the depths of some, the depths of some sort of like hell hole with again, Bill Hicks and mm -hmm. this time with Lauren Hill and Lauren That's Hill was hang. there and she was like, she was naked and she had like a, like a, a wooden stake sticking out of her side. Okay. And it was some sort of allegory there. And I remember I was in Ireland at the time and I was laying in bed with this um, Swedish woman that I met named uh, Sophia. And like, you so are so charismatic and good at picking up women when you were married. Well, this one didn't work out because <laughs> it was like Sophia and like Sophie means like wisdom okay. or something like that, mm -hmm. I think. And so I remember being like, oh, wow. I'm like, sitting next to wisdom and then i remember i tried to like hook up with her like make out with her and she like wasn't into it even though we were laying next to each other and then in my mind i was like oh wow i just tried to like uh inappropriately like take from wisdom sure. or something oh. like that and that and Consent then is key with wisdom yeah so i don't know what the fuck that was but that kind of seems hallucination-y to me you yeah know? well maria i know that you know maria wojcikowski um, who's, yeah. she's, is she bipolar too? She's spoken about it, so I don't feel like I'm like airing her dirty laundry, but she's bipolar too, correct? Uh, yeah, but she has some very specific or very, there's some aspect about it that's a treat, that's treatment resistant in some sort of way really? or something. Yeah. Well, so I've spoken with her a little bit about it and she has auditory hallucinations and has like she, she's in her episodes believes people are talking about her. Like she'll be in a conversation with someone and they'll be like, great set. Like they'll say great set. She'll be like, thank you. And then she'll hear them be like, just kidding. It was fucking awful. And the person won't have said that, but she hears it. And then also uh, Hannah Boone, another friend of mine who is bipolar, similarly like in her apartment, she'll, and a lot of it is with like not a lot of sleep. Uh, she believes there are people in her apartment. She can hear them talking in the other room and she believes that there's like a party going on. And people are there, and then she goes out into the room. And there's nothing there. Wow! So it's so, like they yeah. definitely think that that could cross over. Yeah, I guess there is crossover. I guess it has to do with the severity. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I because I guess I've so far been able to find more that shows the difference between schizophrenia and schizoaffective. Mm -hmm. But uh, <clears throat> I think the difference between schizoaffective and and bipolar, I guess. I guess it has to do with the frequency of that aspect. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'll look. I'll look more into it. And then there's also a thing that uh, is definitely worth exploring more. Where apparently there's a weird bias where doctors are somehow more likely to diagnose. Uh, people from like people of color, like black people or Hispanic people as say schizophrenia, schizophrenic compared okay. to being having psychoaffective disorder compared to having bipolar disorder Really, where it's like people will, will, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's just old fashioned fashion racism. Well, it's it like has to do with cultural understanding too. Like if a cultural belief is sort of different that it'll be perceived from like by a doctor that's of a different culture or socioeconomic class as being like a, a delusion or something like that. Right. Well, yeah. There's whole, there's been some, there's been like all of these kind of studies against this weird biases. So it's the sort of thing where maybe if someone has 
schizoaffective and they're being diagnosed as schizophrenia, the treatment, the, the treatment program is going to be more, you know, it's going to be, it's, uh, it's going to be more like, uh, intense, intense, yeah. you know, compared to, uh, those other diagnoses. So that's kind of interesting. Well, yeah. Class is a lot to do with a lot. I feel like, especially in terms of like homeless populations that are mentally ill, like class and racism plays so highly into it because, you know, if you're privileged and white, you're usually going to have access to mental health care a lot easier. You do have those support systems in place. Whereas if you're out the gate born with not all that, you're already kind of in a negative, you know? Yeah. It's, it's uh, like, I think about the amount of, uh, yeah. I think about the amount of people that are, that are in jail that have mental yeah. illness, you know, it's because it's, it's like, there's so many people that, uh, without question if they were getting treatment would not have made the mistake that they made in order to end up in jail. Yeah. And it really is such, such an awful failing of our society because mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's, it's terrible. So it's like, uh, anybody that is, you know, touched by schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, um, Let's like, you know, let's let's pull back some of the uh, the curtain on that and the stigma. And it's like, yeah, it's not a fucking death sentence. Yes, there are very extreme versions of it. Just like there's very extreme versions of so many things. But it's a whole other beast right now, I think, to be accepted in society with that diagnosis. I think that somebody can say that they're bipolar and yeah, that maybe freaks some people out, but less so than it did some time ago. But I think that the schizophrenia and schizoaffective, maybe schizoaffective, I think schizoaffective, even to a less degree, just because of the way that it sounds. Yeah. And for a while, I didn't realize that schizophrenia and schizoaffective were different things. I thought that that was the sort of rebranding of the word. And I was uh -huh. like, okay, that sounds a little like uh better or different yeah and i'm not actually i'm usually not one of these people where it's like oh we're just changing like the words but specifically the word schizophrenia is not helping yeah. anybody yeah you know um although that being said i would hate to lo lose the word schizo from mm -hmm. the from society it's a fun word. because it is a fun sounding word yeah uh yeah but uh Anybody out there that's listening that has a diagnosis, I want to tell you that, uh, yeah, you're cool here in the land of take your pill psychopath. And I, uh, I hope that you're doing well. And if anybody has anything, uh, from their experience that they want me to, uh, to talk about, to read about, I'm going to do a few, uh, at the, uh, the end of this episode. Feel free. We got a new email um, that it's a Gmail email. I mean, anybody can get it, but uh, I set it up myself. You guys. Wow, look at uh, you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, takeyourpillspod at gmail.com. That is a takeyourpillspod at gmail.com. So anybody that wants to send anything in, it uh, uh, doesn't have to be, you know, like, like funny or intense or extreme or anything like that or whatever. It just, uh, just, be, just be honest and if it's something helpful that you think uh for me to to read to share publicly so you can hear it back so you can know other people that are dealing with their own issues or know people that are are hearing it uh to feel less isolated i'd be thrilled to uh to read it and talk about it um speaking of prolific people with 
schizoaffective disorder. Holy moly, you guys. Uh, this is kind of messed up when I was manic, but it's wonderful. Okay. There is an author whose name is uh, Esme Weijung Wang, mm-hmm. and she wrote a book called The Collected Schizophrenias uh, that is uh, – uh, is is pretty amazing. It, what it won some award. It won the uh, yes, the gray, like, uh, the gray house award. It says at the top on the book. Yes, uh, the winner of the Gray Wolf Press nonfiction prize. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, so uh, she has a uh, a diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder. Can you read the uh, the uh, blurb about this, and then I will tell you the story of how I uh, tried to hang out with her and it was weird. Dark call. <laughs> You tried to hang out with a woman. It was weird. Oh, shut up. Uh, what? That doesn't, you guys, I'm really nice to people. Go, go, just freaking read it. you? Okay. An intimate, moving book written with the immediacy, with the immediate, immediacy and directness of one who still struggles with the effect of mental and chronic illness. The collected schizophrenia cuts right to the core. Schizophrenia is not a single unifying diagnosis. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's like there is this big umbrella thing you know like bipolar disorder is a wide like you know cast a very wide net of people that have you know uh significantly different experiences whatever go ahead Keep okay uh and esme weijun wang writes not just to her fellow members of the quote collected schizophrenias end quote oh that's fun yeah that's interesting yeah. like that's what it, yeah that's what she's referring to the collected schizophrenia is everybody dealing with all of the umbrella of the diagnoses all the all the friends amazing uh but to those who wish to understand it as well. Opening with a journey towards her diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder, Wang discusses the medical community's own disagreement about labels and procedures for diagnosing those with mental illness, and then follows an arc that examines the manifestations of schizophrenia in her life, in essays that range from using fashion to present as high-functioning to the depths of a rare form of psychosis. Oh, fun. And I want to read this book. And from the failures of the higher education system and the dangers of institutionalization to the complexity of compounding factors such as PTSD and Lyme disease. Yeah, that's the sort of thing we're meaning like, okay, put into an institution, but that institution does not have the capabilities to take care of other uh, illnesses and situations that are going on and stuff like that. Wang's analytical eye, honed as a former lab research at Stanford, allows her to balance research with the personal narrative an essay collection of undeniable power, the collected skin of schizophrenia dispels misconceptions and provides insight into the condition, into a condition long mis- misunderstood. That's right. Awesome. I'll definitely read that. Yeah. So amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Someone with schizoaffective, most people would think, oh, somebody has schizophrenia or schizoaffective. They can't even string a sentence together. Well, They're probably just, I'm just saying, if somebody doesn't have any context for it, you yeah. know what I mean? They'll be like, oh, this is somebody that's just like, you know, c- couldn't possibly achieve something like this. Well, usually there's there's so many um, studies about this, but almost always the when IQ goes up, the probability of mental illness also goes up with it almost exclusively. So, yeah, yeah. I um, mean, just... It doesn't mean you're stupid or non-functioning. It's yes, usually the opposite. No, I know, but I'm saying the perception of thinking of somebody with schizophrenia could do something like this is yeah. not... I don't think that's a generally like a uh, believed situation. Sure. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Plus speaking of that, I mean, just think how smart I must be. <laughs> you know what I mean? I almost didn't want to give <laughs> off, that to you. Oh, fuck you. Like <laughs> off the charts. Uh, so anyway, uh, I happened to find out about this book, mm-hmm. the uh, collected schizophrenia 
when I was pretty fucking manic. Oh my uh, God. May I say something? I'm sorry to interrupt again, but yeah. when you are manic, you always find your way to books. I was thinking about this. Anytime I've seen you in a manic episode, you always have a bag of books or some sort of record. You always have a bag of some sort of archaic art form. Uh, books are not archaic. They're not archaic, but like, but you always have like an old, like a 10-year-old a copy of like some memoir. You just find stuff, you know? I know, I know. Whatever, okay. Yeah, I got books, whatever. Yeah, look at you, nerd. Yeah. Okay, I'm, go ahead. I don't, maybe it's to overcompensate because I feel like I don't read enough books when I'm not manic, but then I never read the books when I'm manic, <laughs> but I buy them. You're right. Last, last time when I was in DC, for some reason, I did just, I would go to this bookstore and I was just buying... I would buy like always have books. hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of books. Yes. All of which I fucking lost. And they were good book choices. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were. But I would go in there and I'd be like, oh, I need that book. I need that book. I would get them. But then I was buying books that I was like, why did I buy? I bought like, I was like, oh, I need to know everything about these. I bought like Joe Biden's autobiography. <laughs> Anytime you got a bag of books, I'm like, oh, fuck. I bought Kamala Harris's biography. Uh -huh. I, whatever. You know what I mean? I don't even know why. But, uh, <laughs> Anyway, you found this book. Yeah, I found this book and I was like, I was just like, holy shit, this is like, this is like amazing. Like who wrote this? Who is this person that is, you know, sort of like destigmatizing and writing this amazing thing mm -hmm. about schizophrenia? Um, and it's like, okay, so obviously there's a reason I was able to find this book. So I then am like, uh, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and I see somebody I follow, some a journalist from like NPR posts like, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm hosting this event with uh, the author, uh, you know, uh, Esme Weizhong Wang and her new book, The Collected Schizophrenia is in DC at this thing. You know what I mean? So, you know, like I've, I've, I follow her. I was following her. She follows me back because we both got the blue check of, uh, of validation, bullshit, Ooh. whatever. And, uh, so I DM her being like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm John, I'm this comedian, you know what I mean? I, I do a lot of stuff talking about my, you know, my, my, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I would, you know, I'd be so excited to meet Esme, it'd be great. And then she's like, hey, John, she's like, uh, yeah, the event tonight is, uh, is, uh, it's like a private event. Uh, and it was at a place in DC. It wasn't only a private event. It was at a place in DC called The Wing, which is, um, which is uh, based off of these like turn of the century women's clubs Ooh. that are like women only type places mm -hmm. where men can go, but they have to specifically be like invited and sponsored Man, and everything. I love this. Which is fine. Yeah. And these things are actually propping up uh, around the country. And it somewhat is a response to like uh, Trumpism and misogyny yeah. and all that stuff. Oh. And this place is like, I mean, they get like senators and stuff like, like, you know, Kristen Gillibrand or whatever goes and speaks there. You know, it's like, it's in Georgetown, D.C. This is like fancy shit. And so for whatever reason, I was like, okay, I'll still go, though. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll still go, though. Uh, yeah, totally. So I, uh, I'm like, all right. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have to get from where I live in D.C. out to Georgetown. We're going to have to figure that out. Mm. Uh, it's going to be complicated. Steal a car. Yeah. Uh, I th Yeah, I think I, mm, I think I took a bus to like a, I think I took a bus to a cab. But then it was actually hard to find. Mm -hmm. And I was 
in Georgetown, which I haven't hung out in too much. It's like a real fancy part of DC. And I was trying to find the place. And I thought that it was like purposefully hidden. Like I really had to like earn it. And also another delusion going through my head during this time was that I was this, uh, I was this great defender of women. Oh yes. And their honor as in like, okay, women are, are being, you know, there's a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, sexual violence towards women happening and like rape culture is very, uh, uh, pervasive and stuff like that. That's not the delusional part. Um, but the, uh, but the thing is I was perceiving that like, okay, no, I was thinking that, you know what? It's like, yes, there's some men, a lot of men that are not actively participating in that, but they're not going out of their way to call it out and like chop down men that are doing it. So I was like, I need to be the great defender of women. And but like the ally with like the righteous hammer, you know what I mean? (laughs) And so I, you buy a sword. Yeah. 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 It's like, I will cut off your dick. (laughs) So I, uh, but I was also thought that I could perceive when a man that one of these violators like walked into a place or was there, Uh like the energy would change and I would feel it. And it was my job to shame them publicly. Nice. So I was in every co- comedian in Brooklyn right now. Do not reduce my unique delusion <laughs> to whatever bullshit fucking thing, you know. Uh, but thank you. But anyway, so I'm in this. Uh, I'm in this little cafe with some like Norwegiany type place in DC where they had these like uh, these like salmon gravlix sandwich is so fucking good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been vegan for a year and a half, but I do miss the salmon. But yeah. every once in a while, full disclosure, every once in a while, you guys in a pinch, if there's nothing, I'll have some fucking salmon. All right. I'm not, I'm sorry. Whatever. I'm not sorry. It's fine. I'm not a monster. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, um, so I, uh, I'm in there and I'm eating my little gravlox sandwiches and I'm, uh, reading the book, the collected schizophrenias, mm-hmm. um, which full disclosure, I have not, actually read you know what i mean but i would You're like scanning to. the book with your eyes yeah no but i mean i like the idea i should read it i should really read it now uh that i'm uh a normie again um so and this guy walks in and sits down and i get up and i just like i yell at him and i call him a fucking rapist and like scream at him in the uh shop Ooh, not a good look. And then was he giving off rape energy that you perceived? Yeah, dude. Yeah. He was real rapey. Okay. And uh and he just like didn't react or like ignored me, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But then the uh the the women that were there that worked there were like, you know, asked me to calm down, but when at the time I was like, okay, I see that you appreciate what I'm doing. <laughs> clearly but you're right like i need to calm calm down because of the situation and i also realized i was like yes i understand that me pushing out and responding to this person with violence is necessary but at the same time it's negatively affecting this woman by creating some kind of like trauma for her Mm -hmm. so that was some you know karmic price that i was going to have to pay so she was both appreciative and scared of the situation at the same time yeah so that's earlier in the day okay then i'm like well i gotta go meet esme uh uh, you know wei zhang wang the author of the collected schizophrenia is because 
I have bipolar one disorder. She has schizoaffective disorder. We're about the same age, like X, X, Y, you know, X, Y generation. You know right. what I mean? Like real vintage millennials or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and for us to meet and like me being this comedian, her being this author, it's probably really important for us to like, important cult figures to have this interaction so i will take this journey this mecca to georgetown in order to meet her Uh and of course i'm gonna bring a vegan dessert to give her you know what i mean (laughs) um to show you're on the right side of her story yeah her story nice um so i make my way there finally find the place the wing and um then I, uh, I buzz in and it's like, it's, it's this sort of like, like the, the entrance is kind of hard to find and it's sort of like nondescript, and the, but the building is like beautiful and it's right by this sort of canal-y sort of area. And, uh, and I get in there and then I walk up the stairs to like where the main thing is the event's already like underway, but like where I'm at is not where the event is. That's like their lobby. Mm-hmm. And then I'm talking, I'm explaining, and everybody's very nice there. And, you know, if you don't have any context to meet me there, I can present as nice and charismatic. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, Esme, let me meet Esme. I have bipolar, she has schizoaffective. We need a 69. You know, it's not like, (laughs) if we 69, it'll turn into a 99 and everything will be fun. We'll invent a new sexual position for the next generation or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that's funny to me. All right. So it's 99. You guys have a 99? All right. But so I... I'm talking to them, the woman at the front desk, and we're getting along well. And then I'm saying, I'm like, look, you know, I'd really like to meet her. I'm this comedian. You know, I'm on this show. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like selling myself. I show her this, like, this write up I'd gotten, like, um, like, like, uh, this whole write up about before I taped my stand up special that was talking about how it's like this DIY thing directed by the dude from Fugazi and all my stand up and the thing. So I'm like, look, this is who I am. You know, I think it would be a really cool experience for us to meet. You know what I mean? I don't know. And then a woman comes out who's more like, uh, and by woman, I mean, these are like college students or like maybe just out of college, mm-hmm. but very professional people in this Georgetown, the wing fancy pants deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she was super nice when she was like, Oh, like that's so great that you want to come to this thing. But you know, this is like a invite only, uh, and it's like a women's club. So, you know, you can become part of it, but you have to get sponsored. And it's a process. So like, um, but again, like, thank you so much. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm not a weirdo or anything like that. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not going to try to, I'm not trying to force my way in or anything. She's like, oh no, I know, sure. I know. And I'm like, well, you just give this dessert to Esme and whatever. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure. Ugh, okay. I think that I got the dessert for her. I think, but I may have just got it for me. And then last minute made an audible and been like, this is for her. I'm not sure. I just want to be honest with you guys <laughs> about things that you really don't, matter if i need to be honest about whatever that's just it i don't know but anyway i gave it to her yeah and it was like uh it was some i don't know it was pink that's all i remember but uh so then i uh i left and she though was having an event the next night Mm -hmm. at um at a public a public place like a bookstore or Mm -hmm. something like that um yeah that i could infiltrate so i i went to that and Immediately after the show, she's like, she knew who I was, uh, you know what I mean? So she was like, just wait till I finish signing these books. 
And then we went into the bathroom and we hooked up. All right, none of that happened. I, yeah. I totally believed you. I, I a thousand no. percent believe you. No, Someone no. just hooked up with you in a bathroom. I was like, you did it again. <laughs> they don't call me the little bathroom gremlin for nothing. You are a bathroom gremlin. I am not. We've hooked up in a bathroom many times. Okay, you're the bathroom gremlin. I yes, I probably am, yeah. Uh Anyway, I mean that was that was yeah, it was Barack Obama. It was a different America. It was a different country. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, that didn't happen. That did not happen. I didn't go to the event the next day. Oh, thank goodness for whatever reason. Who knows? Sure. I was spun out. Whatever was happening, I've not met Esme. Uh, the book is amazing. I think <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is from what I've read. And it's like the yeah, she has this really amazing sort of. Uh, like disjointed narrative that that works and it's like the emotional honesty of it is fucking you know it's uh it's really courageous and cool and i'm pretty sure i follow her on twitter and she does not follow me and that's where we're at um but uh that's someone with schizo effective that was you know it said she formerly was a stanford uh lab uh, yeah you know researcher and she is a uh, award-winning author, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty fucking cool. And I'm really really glad that those women did not let me uh, meet her. <laughs> 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 or who knows? Maybe it would have been okay. You know I what mean, I mean? You're, yeah. Yeah. I'm who like, knows? I was like, I was like, I have bipolar. You have schizoaffective. I'm the key master. Are you the gatekeeper? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a little Ghostbusters reference for all y'all. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that. Um, now it's time for one of our potentially uh, recurring segments until I run out of them, which seems like it will be a never. Tell you guys a little story of some time, <laughs> one time that I was manic that I'm remembering about. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, yep, I just told the story about trying to meet Esme Weizhong Wang, okay? Um, mm-hmm. All right, here's one. Hold on. I, uh, okay, this one I forgot about. This one takes place 2008, mm-hmm. New York City. Uh, I'm spinning out, getting manic, and then an extended manic episode because for me, I'm smoking weed, which is just making it worse and worse. I'm drinking a lot of wine. That time was a lot of weed and wine for that one. And for me, it's like weed is like, you know, trying to put out a, a grease fire with water or whatever. Yeah. It just, it, it makes it uh, way worse. And that's one thing too. I think that my hallucinations uh, when they if they come uh are connected with weed so that is another reason why it wouldn't be a, a schizophrenia or schizoaffective diagnosis if is if is because it's substance induced I see. by okay. a drug and stuff mm-hmm. like that um but yeah but like the the uh the ramped up grandiose delusional thinking is uh not drug induced and that's the bipolar mm-hmm. um so what if you guys yeah. are just right? <laughs> yeah, why don't you just fucking say that? You know what I mean? Right about, no, well, this is the thing. Like, Esme would say, would she would see trains, like, coming at her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Terrifying. Like, terrifying shit that then she'd have to figure out how to, like, emotionally regulate herself when that was happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, not right. Um, but, uh, he says, yeah, but, uh, what was I saying? Uh, you were, oh, yeah, it yeah, was the weed and wine episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
I um this season on John's man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, fuck. Uh, I uh, huh, I was I was really I was spun out for a few months at this point and really just burning bridges in New York City, uh, left and right. You know, like, are you uh, working and stuff? Like, what? How are you maintaining yourself? Uh, maybe it's just some money that I that I had or not really. You know, or just getting by you know you know like having my place but you know you you can like get people to give you food and stuff like yeah, that you yeah. know you can do shit or, or you know living off your friends and stuff and i'm a comedian so i'm like tapped into a whole community and stuff like that i'm manic so i'm meeting people i'm hanging out with different things i don't fucking know like yeah you just you you sort of get Figure by kind of but like my roommates at this point i think it moved out uh, because they couldn't handle the situation. Other new people are sort of moving in, but I remember one guy's like, just like paying me in weed and uh, was living on like a, they were they were living on a boat. I was hanging out on this boat in the East River a lot. Um, no, not, yeah, in the East River, yeah, near like the Pulaski Bridge there between, uh-huh. underneath there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And it was like this living boat. Living in a boat by the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was a big, yeah, but it was actually like a big, uh, like, decommissioned ferry boat that people own and they would throw parties on like all this like euro trash people would come and it'd be these like crazy dance parties and stuff and then i'd be in there and like fucking everything up and being like this manic freak (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they would have me like cleaning the boat and i was like hanging out with these people and stuff like that and it was weird and then so anyway one of the guys was staying with me so all of these crazy things are happening i'm getting kicked out of all these places i'm kicked out of different venues where i was you know hanging out my friends are you know, it's trying to help, but don't want to be around me. And it was basically, uh, it was bad. It was a bad time. And this particular story though, pretty funny. I, um, I was really, really convinced that, well, I, I was, and I wasn't convinced. I was going to get kicked out of my apartment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I hadn't paid rent for a long time and I was freaking out my, my landlord and which sucks because she was such a nice lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had such a good relationship before that, you know, and then I just, uh, you know, I totally freaked her out and it was bad. Uh, so she was trying to get me out of the apartment, but I changed the locks and stuff like that. And, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, I was perceiving that some sort of like, not even just like the marshal, but like, yeah, or somebody, they were going to really finally like kick me out of the place, like not bang down the doors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I had to create a diversion. Uh, so I had to sort of publicly sort of spread the word about where I was going to be, uh, but then like not be there, but also create such a thing that you know, whatever authority forces weren't even going to physically be able to get to my place. So I was like, oh, I'm going to throw a huge block party a la Dave Chappelle style. Um, so I thought because I was this, you know, person that was like so central and I was living in Long Island City, Queens at the time mm-hmm. that I was like, and I had so much, I don't know, like a connection with people or something that the way that I was spreading the word about it, like tons and tons of people were going to be there and it was going to be this huge 
block party fun like event thing and stuff like that. And then what was going to happen is then obviously everybody thought that I was going to be there. Right. But there were going to be so many people on the block and outside of my place that anybody that was going to try to kick me out or anything or hurt me or get in there, they wouldn't even be able to. And the strength in numbers would just shame them away from it or something like that. But my master stroke is that I wasn't going to be there at all, you know? Bulletproof. Instead, I was going to go into the city, into Manhattan, and go to uh, Comics, this comedy club that was there at the time, Mm C-O-M-I-X, which actually, full disclosure, when that place closed, uh, because I was friends with people that were working there, uh, I got the X from Comics, the actual letter from the thing. (laughs) It's a little copper thing. I think it's still at my grandmother's house. But uh, So anyway, I had to get to Comics because that night, there was a CD release party for the uh, posthumously released Mitch Hedberg album, Do You Believe in Gosh? And I was like, oh, I'm clearly down the line at some point going to be the person they tap to play Mitch Hedberg in the Mitch Hedberg biopic. Uh So I should be there for this. And I'm this great, like, respected comedian or whatever. Uh, I'm doing it. So I go to comics, mm-hmm. uh, get in because I perform there or whatever. Do you, you know? start the block party at all? Like, do you do anything Just to get listen, it going? Just okay. listen, dude. I'm, I'm curious. Well, you know. Okay. Um, but uh, so I, uh, I go in to comics mm-hmm. and uh immediately go backstage into the green room or okay. whatever like that which is like sort of i could do that i perform there enough it's sort of a little bit of a gray area you know it's mm-hmm. like okay maybe uh maybe for a big big show like this it's like i don't know because you know back there was uh you know judah friedlander who i'm, I'm friends with him but he's you know uh he's massively successful wonderful wonderful comedian you know I'm pals with him, but also like Jim Gaffigan, who I know <laughs> a little, 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 little. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mark Marin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who I know little, little, little. Like, yeah. uh, and then, um, and same with like Bill Burr, like a little bit. All of them are back there, right? Whoa. Yeah. And a few other people too, but that's who I, re- that's who I remember. And uh, immediately I'm like talking to Judah. Who knows? I'm saying, who knows what I'm saying? Everybody, there's, there's a couple stacks of CDs. I immediately like take one. I'm like, Oh, of course I get one of these free CDs or whatever. And then I think somebody, whatever manager or someone was like, Hey John, for this one, just like, you you know, you can't be back here. Get the (laughs) fuck out. You know what I mean? Uh, So that show happens, show happens. Then there's somebody outside uh, after the show that's like filming, asking comedians, different people to sit, give anecdotes about Mitch Hedberg and say some stuff, right? So I remember a p- couple of people saying something. Or I remember, Mar- I remember Mark Maron's out there. He's smoking a cigar at the time. And he says something nice or whatever. And then they go to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like saying some whatever impassioned diatribe I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But then I remember like Mark being like, yeah, I agree with whatever that guy's saying. <laughs> Something like that. Which I thought was funny and weird. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I remember is acting so weird around uh, Bill Burr that he like was like, dude, you need to relax. And then him like jumping into a cab and driving away. <laughs> I just remember that. But then cut to like, I don't know, like eight years later or more, I'm on the same show with them and I, I didn't really remember it and he didn't remember it at all. And we just mm-hmm. said hello or whatever. It's nice. fine. But I do remember that. Um, so 
cut to what actually happened with the block party yeah. was, um, believe it or not, there was not a block party. What? But one guy who worked at this restaurant right down no, the block. I hate this already. He, when I saw him like next week, he's like, what happened, man? I showed up at the block party with like two kegerators. Oh my God. Like no. I had these mini kegs and I thought there was going to be this whole thing. I was excited oh and there was nobody no, there. Oh God. And I was like, dude, I just had to do that as a smoke screen. I'm sorry. I just, I had to make it real. I don't know why no one else showed up. Smoke screen. And then we listened to the Mitch Hedberg album together. No, we didn't, but. He came with two kegs. Oh, that's well, not big. I feel, I feel yeah, like littler kegs. Still, that's so funny. Yeah. One guy. Yeah, <laughs> I have not told that story in. Let's see, I mean, like nine years. Wow. So, what do you think about that, guys? For this podcast, I'm digging deep into the psychotic archives <laughs> for you guys. The my story. fellow psychos. The psychotic archives just bags of books. Yeah. I'm just uh, just curious. What are we at time-wise? Uh, an hour and four minutes. We're already at an hour and four? Yeah. Holy shit, guys. I think these might just keep getting longer and longer. All right. So what I want us to do is... Um, uh, what do you think, Andrew, order-wise? I definitely want to read a few uh, a few uh, things that folks wrote, wrote in, mm-hmm. um, sent in. And then I have to go over a few more songs I thought were written about oh, me. Oh, yeah. Uh, which one should we do first, you think? Let's do the listener write-ins first. Okay, we'll do listener write-ins first. Get through all that depressing bullshit and then <laughs> go to this. Just kidding, you guys. Uh, this is actually, this means the world to me for you guys to send stuff in. I really want it to be something that we do because uh, guess what? I feel lucky that I have this this platform and I get to reach out and to connect with folks. Uh, so... I want you guys to feel the same way. And I want you guys to uh, know that you are heard too, because, you know, we've all heard the term strength in numbers. Yeah. We're going for weakness in numbers, you guys. So that's (laughs) going to be our thing, you little fucking psychos. All right. So let me read some of these. This first one is from Apia. Yes. Um, She's, uh, oh, you know what? I was thinking before I started reading the first one of these, I guess I have to give the uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the not reclam the uh, the disclaimer the uh, the standard disclaimer you know anything I say about these you guys I'm not an expert which should be obvious <laughs> from everything that we've said uh, so I'm just going to uh, give you my thoughts and you know let you know I appreciate you sharing so here we go <clears throat> so this is what Apia wrote in she said. Um, I used to suffer from depression and anxiety in my life. It came and went multiple times. The interesting part is that it manifests with intrusive, obsessive thoughts. Mm. When it first started, I didn't know what that was about and thought I might be really losing it. Now, what I know, guys, about uh, intrusive, obsessive thoughts or like recurring thoughts, uh, I'm no expert on the subject, but I do know that if you're having those and you try to not think about them, that makes you think about them more. I know it sounds counterintuitive, uh, but if you somehow instead like sit and acknowledge that the thought is happening, focus on your breathing and how you physically feel, how your body feels 
uh, somatically is the word, like while that's happening and try not to put like a judgment on yourself for that annoying recurring thought and realize that it's not about you. Like, yes, it's your thought and it's specific to you, but the phenomenon is not specific to the human, to you. It's part of the human condition. You can kind of change the story around it and that can help. Now, I don't know if that translates to helping to somebody that actually has a clinical or a diagnosed sort of intrusive obsessive thought disorder or something like that, but that was uh, something. All right. Next, she says, um, when I think about it, my brain always worked like this, but in high stress times, the intrusive thoughts get very intense. Basically, my brain scans my environment for danger, and if there is no danger, it thinks about what could be danger. Like if I'm in the kitchen, there are knives in the cabinet, I could accidentally hurt myself or someone else with them, or someone else could hurt me. I imagine what could happen and already anticipate the pain and dread. I always go to the worst case scenario of pain and death for everyone. Sometimes a trigger could bring me to the obsessive state when I was already stressed out. I never hurt myself or other people, but it's like my brain got some kind of virus and I can't stop thinking about those things. Imagine if you watch a horror movie and the thoughts stay with you. Yeah, it's like how I feel after I have lunch with Andrea. I'm just getting hot. <laughs> That's so fucked up. Uh, but uh, you can't shake them. It's like that, but all the time. When it was bad, most of my thoughts were intrusive thoughts. It's awful and takes your will to live. Medication helped a lot and also working on the lifestyle. But of course, I didn't want to take medication because I'm strong and I don't need anything. But unfortunately, I totally do. Now, that mentality of being like, oh, I'm a strong person, I must be, I must have if I have to take medication, it means I'm not strong. It means I have some sort of character defect or I'm broken in some sort of way or I'm a weak person. Um, it's a it's an awful mentality to be in. And I say that because I've lived in that mentality for such a, such a long time. And if I'm going to be honest, maybe even someplace inside me, there still are lingering sort of embers of that feeling and stuff like that. But uh, it's such a, such an important thing to figure out how to let go of that worldview of yourself on it because we're thrown into a shitstorm of a world. We have these imperfect bodies, these imperfect minds. We're trying to make our way. We're trying to connect with people, uh, all amongst a very, very difficult, uh, <coughs> just world and experience and the way that we're wired and things like that. So to just really subscribe to this self-reliant, you know, mentality of like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and things like that. We put so much honor into that. And it's like, yes, you want to be able to stand on your own two feet, but do not think uh, that, you know, getting the tools in your bag and doing what you have to do to facilitate, to be able to do that makes you weak. It makes you stronger, you know? And I think ultimately, Apia, that's what you're saying, because like, you know, the medication does help a lot. And then what you say next is, I'm trying to find out where those thoughts, feelings come from in therapy. therapy. So you're being proactive about your mental health. I'm good now. I take the pills. A half Zoloft does the trick. And I was always a very high functioning person despite it. There you go. You know, these are not death sentences. It's like, I want to equate the mental illness to like a bum knee or something like that. It's hard for me to still do, but I think hearing something like this helps with that. And then Apia has a couple questions. Um, yeah, and thank you for sharing that, Apia. She says, um, 
to me. How often do you stop taking meds because you felt good? Uh, that's interesting because that is something that people, uh, when they're manic, often will do. Or they'll be like, ooh, I want to feel this sort of manic, exuberant, um, ecstatic energy again or something. I don't think I'm into that because for me, the mania gets to a point where it's so so scary and so intense and I know how it burns down my my life and I kind of like how I feel now. I like that I uh, feel in terms of in, in control of the creativity that I'm pushing out and I like the energy level uh, that I have. But uh, I know that really is a thing and I think that has been something I've dealt with in the past. But for me specifically, I um, only ever took being medicated somewhat seriously as in I would be given a prescription regimen. I wouldn't like some of the pills because they'd be uh, really affecting me negatively. They'd be too too much. Um, let's say for me personally, something like uh, being put on Respiridol or something like that, which if it maybe works for others. Uh, but so I would just not take those, but I would take the other ones. Like I would take Lamictal because Lamictal has mood stabilizing capabilities and it didn't give me, you know, didn't have a side effect profile. So I do that. Or the first time that I was I was given lithium, initially I was given a dosage. And then when the blood case, blood test came back, they said there wasn't enough in it. So uh, enough lithium showing up in my, in my blood. So they were going to just double the dosage. And I said, yeah, sure. But I started taking that for a few days and was feeling tired. So I just went back to the other amount and still, you know, was okay for a couple of years, but then inevitably, you know, had, uh, an episode. So for me, it was never stopping to take the meds because I felt good being manic. It was not taking them because I didn't want to deal with, uh, feeling slowed down inside effect profiles. But I do think that a lot of people, the way that mania manifests for them is that they do want to feel, like their alpha version of themselves. Uh, and that actually may be them experiencing something called hypomania, which is like mania light, which can be very advantageous, can be very sort of like, you're like the alpha version of yourself where you're you're very charismatic and your intuition is shot up and you have a ton of energy, you can get a whole bunch of work done and you're like kind of clicking on all cylinders. But for me, it'll cross that threshold into full-blown mania uh, where it becomes real shit show. Um, Okay, she's got another question. Do you think your illness also has some upsides? Uh, I, in a way, yes. I and, I and not even talking about when I'm in that hypomanic little like sweet spot or whatever. I think it's more of uh, because I've experienced such a long, wide spectrum of human emotions, I think maybe that allows me to tap into something or see the world in a way that helps with creativity. Uh, so I think maybe there's an advantage there. I think it certainly comes at a price. I also like to think that because of what I've been through, that I have this uh, maybe like a residual or cultivated sense of compassion and stuff like that for uh, other other people because I know that I'm someone that's been wounded a lot and has dealt with all of that. So I'm not going to be dismissive of other people, I hope. Um and uh, so much weird shit has happened to me as a comedian. And I don't have to worry about actually coming up with jokes, <laughs> <laughs> which is really not just kidding. I do both, whatever. But I mean, lately it's just this stuff. But, uh, you know, that's a little tongue in cheek, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, so that I guess would be some upsides. But I don't think that it's like, oh, I need the illness to be 
able to be like an artist and stuff like that. I think that this is just the cards that I've been dealt. And I think for me as a comic, it's helpful to talk about my own experience and that's what I can do in a unique way. Um, but if I didn't have this, I don't think that I wouldn't be, a, you know, a comedian or have, a, or have creativity. Um, last question. Do you have a history of bipolar, bipolarity, bipolarity, uh, in your family? I know that my, uh, Mother deals with some unipolar depression. Uh, and I know that my grandfather, we don't know the diagnosis, but I know that back in the day he was on lithium. So it's quite possible that he had something like that. I've asked to try to get more of specifics out of it, but think about that. You know, like my grandmother never really knew or, 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 or didn't have any sort of like, either didn't know or didn't want to talk about it but quite possibly didn't even know the diagnosis or, you know, and my mom has, does not know, but they knew he was on lithium and that was it. So think about that, you know, generations before thing where it was so not talked about that even close family members didn't even know what the diagnosis was, uh, to where we're at now, uh, where, you know, I'm just, uh, recklessly talking about it on the internet, <laughs> um, making sure that I'm never going to get employed for any other job or actually that not even being the case that actually not even being the case. That's kind of where we're at now, which is exciting. There still is more work to do, but, uh, that I think is something. Um, so that's, uh, that's Appia. Uh, and, um, I, uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you calling in and doing that. You know, so thank you. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, not calling in, like sending in a message. I'm still trying to figure out now, like flow of the show right now, guys, is what I'm thinking, where it's like, oh, do I do two more of these or was one like good? Because it was actually, I'm, I'm happy to do it, but it was sort of like, uh, that was kind of like a long segment to do right mm -hmm. there. I mean, what is your sense of it? What is your take? I mean, you know. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think depends on how long you want the show to go. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Sprinkle them. I feel is my is my impulse. Is is three a sprinkle or is one a sprinkle? I think one's a sprinkle. One's Depen a sprinkle. Depending on how maybe okay. maybe two if they're two if they're like really short. Okay. You know what? This second one is uh, somewhat differentiated and sh and it's uh, it's shorter. Yeah. So I'm going to do this one. Uh, I had a third one planned. I promise you for the third one uh, that I'm going to do that one on the next episode. Because and that one is from uh, from Jennifer who really wrote something beautiful from her heart. Uh, so I think that, um, I'm going to do this one other one and then we'll go from there. So this one is from John. Um, is it you? Oh, me? fuck you. And that's what I was going to say too. I was going to, that's why we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. I was going to be like, I wrote it to myself, but, uh, you know, no, actually he spells his name without an H J O N like a fucking weirdo. Plebe. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. It probably stands for Jonathan, meaning that he's Jewish. Uh, and so it was really anti-Semitic of me to say that. Mm -hmm. But uh, also my name is Jonathan H, but I am Jewish too on my mother's side. Leibowitz. Deal with it, guys. I'm an Irish Jew. All right. Um, and also other things, Italian, Romanian, Lithuanian. Um, so here we go. This is from John. Hi, John. To me, that was to me. Uh, I've recently completed a degree in counseling and I'm about to start working on an inpatient psychiatric unit at a large hospital. In your experience of having been 
hospitalized so many times you freak. No, he didn't say that. He just said, in your experience, is there anything you remember that therapists consistently fucked up when working with you? Any advice for someone just starting out in the mental health field? Okay, that is such a good question. Cool. And I've really had to kind of think about it to answer it the way that I that I want to, to just to be honest. Um, the first thing that I want to say is that as much as people talk shit about psychiatric hospitals all over the country and as much as I have critiques and talk shit about them, uh, a lot of the people working there are doing really, really great work and a great job because they're so oftentimes understaffed, overworked, the resources are limited, uh, the places are uncomfortable. So a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people are really, uh, you know, have their heart in the right place and are trying their best to deal with a very, very difficult situation. Um, that being said, the critiques I, of the places, uh, before I get to talking specifically about the therapist, are that, you know, why does it have to be so uncomfortable? You know, why does not always, but often, why does the, why does the food have to be so shitty? I mean, obviously nutrition is connected to mental health. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you're in this place and the food is, is a fucking, you know, a disaster that's just, you know, leading to kind of inflammation and stuff like that, that's going to only exacerbate things or make it harder to get well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's new studies that say there's as many neurons in the stomach as there are in the brain or whatever. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Um, Often another thing, it's like the sleeping things. It's like the beds will be not mattresses. It's just like almost like these like uh, like they're glorified gym mats, you know. Oh. So it's it's so that's so uncomfortable. Oftentimes there's no uh, capability to have any sort of outdoor area, so you're kind of completely cut off uh, from nature and stuff like that. And it's uh, yeah, so that that stuff sort of sucks. And a lot of the people that are working on the floor say the like the the nurses or the the i don't know if orderlies is the right word those people sometimes can be really kind and helpful but sometimes there's some who have been burnt out who are over it so they're just sort of mean all the time for no reason mm -hmm. which is a sort of it just makes everything kind of worse so i would say don't do that but in terms of uh, a therapist consistently fucking up something uh i don't there's nothing that comes to mind as consistently fucking up but when a therapist um is uh is somewhat dismissive or doesn't really uh uh listen that is is a problem sometimes when they don't have enough time to uh to really just sit and hear and hear the person out and uh or if they just get burnt out on their job but oftentimes therapists especially ones working in psychiatric hospitals they really are these salt of the earth people that uh have to see so many different people they're doing long crazy hours so they and they genuinely do they genuinely do care about who they're seeing um it's weird it's like i'd say in terms of of empathy it, from least to most, it would goes uh, the psychiatrist who, you know, is not a monster, but just kind of like is going to quickly give the diagnosis, give the pills or whatever. And oftentimes when you're in a psych ward in a hospital, it's going to be a more uh, aggressive 
amount of medication than it would be outside. Is that to uh, sedate you kind of thing? Well, sometimes it's not necessarily to sedate. It's initially to, for me, let's say if I'm manic, it's to, to try to like curb it a little curb bit. that. So yeah. that would be maybe a more sort of ro- like aggressive, like antipsychotic sort mm-hmm. of treatment to then a more maintenance drug sort of thing, which mm-hmm. would still potentially for some people could be a lesser dosage or a different antipsychotic or maybe a mood stabilizer or both or something like that. Um, for me, the way that the atypical antipsychotics make me feel, I'm like, I've, I've uh, been able to, I've not been able to really tolerate those. So I don't take those, but some people do like Seroquel works for people even with like bipolar two disorder, bipolar one or something like that, I think. Um, so there's the psychiatrist because they don't necessarily take a bunch of time with the person. Then I would say it's the, the therapist who, you know, can be helpful and kind then it's interesting, I, but I would say there's also these the social workers really are. Um, they seem to be in these larger hospital situations the most. Uh, well, I guess it depends on who you meet. Some can be real. They can be really, really uh, sympathetic and helpful and really, really listen. Uh, but now, as I was saying that, I think I was thinking of one particular person that was, but then I was thinking of another one that was like not. So I don't know. Uh, so I would say as a therapist, just, uh, really, really listen to what the people are really listen to what the people are saying, realize, never forget that they're, uh, you know, that they're people just like you who are going through a rough patch. Uh, everybody deserves to be, uh, treated with respect. And when everybody's there in a weird way, it's, you're all part of this, this ecosystem, you know, you're seeing these patients and they're seeing, you're seeing these patients more than you're seeing a lot of other people in your life, especially the orderlies and people on the floor are spending more time with them, uh, day to day. So there is like a, an ecosystem there and there needs to be, um, a mutual respect. Um, second part of the question, any advice for someone just starting out in the mental health field? I, I think that's pretty much, uh, what I just said right there is don't get burnt out. Um, all right. If you do take some time off or figure that out and realize it, try your best not to spew that venom onto, uh, the patients that are there because they're already dealing with enough stuff. And yeah, sometimes the patients are going to act reckless and shitty and mean, and that sucks, but, uh, figure out how to keep that compassion and keep central to you the reason that you decided to do this wonderful thing and help people in the first place. And if you're doing it at a large hospital, um, it's probably not for the money. So thank you. Uh, cool. Uh, before I go, let's uh, talk about a couple of uh, songs that I thought were about me. You know, it'd be fun to do at some point. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll make a little like uh a little audio, a little intro thing for this this section. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll sing it. I'll be like, all the songs are about me. All the songs are about me. All the songs are about me. Hey, John, let's hear a few of all the songs that are about me. Perfect. Done. All right, cool. So the first one, Andrew, you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. Guns N' Roses. Oh, my God. You're so corny. I love it. Has that, uh, wait until you hear it, though. Okay. okay. The song One in a Million. <laughs> Who do you think that one in a million is, you guys? Of course. Now, it's important here that before you start playing it, 
that you, if you can, you skip to around the one minute, 30 second mark. Okay. Because before that, he definitely drops an end bomb. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Which is, uh, can be perceived as ironic, which I always thought, but as I listened to it today, I was like, it's getting harder and harder for me to justify that end bomb. Wow. Okay. All uh, right. A, so, yeah. A minute 19. Here we go. Okay. Here Let's we go. It. One in a million by Guns N' Roses, guys. Here we go. Here we go. There it is. That's what I am. Yeah. I'm a shooting star, huh? Maybe we'll see you before you make us cry. No, we tried to reach you. We're much too high. See, I was uh, I was much too high. You understand? Yeah. Like as in my consciousness level was as such that like all these people that were like close were like, oh shit. John's happening or something Nas, like that. Chris Cornell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Axel Rose. But it was like they tried to reach for as much too high, but I was gonna Billy like Corgan. make them cry by them not understanding my plan or something like that. Oh, so God. I was like, holy shit, that song is about me. I am the one in a million that he's talking about. And then I extrapolated and this song got even more delusional for me uh when I was that remember that you were talking about that 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 kind of relatively small window of time when I was manic, the one that got nipped in the bud in 2014, right yeah. as I was starting to work sure. for Redacted Tonight. Yeah. Um, and I then, was there for And we day. hung out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, a couple of uh, uh, friends of mine uh, died, one of which my friend uh, Juwan, Juwan Lee, who is a great, great, great comedian who I started with at the University of Michigan in college. And wow. we would produce shows together and she was so, so funny and so smart. Like she got into like Harvard, but didn't go because her father was such a, uh, like a piece of shit that he wanted her to be like a doctor. And she knew she didn't want to be a doctor. She wanted to be a comedian, but she realized that if she went to out of state college where the tuition was more and he paid for that because she grew up in Michigan, he, he'd be even madder when he found out that she wasn't a doctor. So he, so she would go into Michigan and she would send, have to change her grade. She would create a fake, like a great, like fake report card oh my God. pretending she was doing the pre-med track or whatever. So the reason I told you that is because it plays into what happened. So her father really was like in there. Um, so yeah. she like changed her name. She's like changed the spelling of her last name. So she wouldn't be Googleable when she was doing comedy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I don't know. But anyway, she was doing, she was great. She was like, she actually started 51st Jokes with me and, oh, cool. and Claudia Kogan back in the day. And me and her produced shows in New York together. Wow. We were both first moved to New York. And, uh, she was awesome. And she was, you know, she got, she did like the, you know, the uh, NBC diversity showcase thing, and mm-hmm. a bunch of other things. She was kind of like doing some shit. Uh, but then she decided like, okay, I'm going to still do comedy, but I'm going to kind of like pivot. And she ended up going to Columbia Dental School. Okay. And uh, she ended up becoming the spokesperson for the National Collegiate Dental Association or something like that. Like, and I just remember she was always such a, um, I always remember her being like so much more who she was and so much more 
like self-reliant and stronger than me and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, always just being impressed with her, uh, just her ingenuity and who she was. And we had then like, you know, when she, when she was doing, when she wasn't as much around the comedy scene after some years and she stopped doing 51st Jokes, we uh, weren't in touch as much and stuff like that. And then it then like uh, cuts you like right as I'm getting this job and stuff, she goes missing for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. They don't know what's going on. And some friends who had been in touch with her said when they saw her, she was acting really weird and like she was uh, with some, you know, with some guy and they were like hooking up at the bar and stuff, which is not her style at all. Like it was really out of character things. And uh, then it turned out, you know, she... Uh, she killed herself. She jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Oh my she God. jumped off the fucking bridge. That's yeah, awful. Yeah, and uh, it's awful. And it was really fucking terrible. Did she leave a note thing. or anything like that? Did they know like what led to it? Uh, from what I understand, there I've never heard about any sort of. Who's note. this fucking guy? You know what I mean? No, it wasn't that. And that, that was like some like weeks before or something yeah. like that. That's but uh, so what it, it was like, it was a really really bad situation. Uh, but. I, uh, and, and I miss her and I care about her and, and, and it sucks. Uh, but at the time and it, and I was spinning out and getting manic. I'm sure that was part of it. It was maybe like a, a trigger or something. I don't know. There was a lot, I was getting this new job in DC on redacted tonight. You know, she died. Another friend of mine, uh, Pat, he died of cancer right around the same, in the same week. It was like fucked up. But when I started getting manic, there's a version of one in a million uh, by Guns N' Roses. Like uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's just the song, but like the cover art is some weird cover of like a, like a, a woman. It's like a drawing of a woman in like some sort of like battle fatigues or something mm -hmm. like that. And I somehow was convinced that that was like a message that Jawan was giving to me that she wasn't really dead, that she had like wow. faked her own death because she was working at the national collegiate dental association thing or something. And she figured out some sort of thing that they were like she infiltrated doing some like real, like malicious thing that they were doing to like actually hurt people or some sort of scam. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was something they were putting in the toothpaste or whatever, but, uh, she found it out, so she had to like defect to some other country or something, or like, or had to like get off the grid. Yeah, and this was her message behind to let me know that she was like around, Aww. and I was like struggling with that for a while. Um, so that's what I think of when I hear that song oh, now, God. you guys. So, like, so many songs you guys have taken on so much like lingering, ugh, like cringiness. Holy shit. I can't believe I haven't talked about Bob Marley's redemption song yet, but we're, getting, we're not we're one. not going to do that today. We'll do we'll save oh, that one. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so cut to a year after Juwan passed. Um, her brother, a wonderful guy, and our mutual friend from college, our friend, uh, me and Juwan's mutual friend Amos, um, wanted to have like a, a, a celebration of her life uh, comedy show. Nice. Uh, so it was basically she. They asked some of her comedy friends to do the show in Crown Heights, and um, and then they invited a bunch of her friends, a lot of them from uh, you know from Columbia mm -hmm. Dental School. And so we and so we're doing it and stuff like that. And then when I go up on stage, because she was uh, 
she was good friends with uh with Judah Friedlander. And okay. um like uh uh and uh Judah was so so, you know, worried during this and was trying everything was sort of really trying everything to figure out what was going on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I uh so I like snarkily said I was like, you know, it's terrible that you want pass, but you know, the silver lining is that you know, uh, I was able to manipulate that situation to become closer with Judah. So that's good, <laughs> which is like, so it's like a fucking roasty thing. But, yeah. but then I did talk about something really like vulnerable. I was like, look, I was like, you know, and a lot of people know that me and Juwan were, were close and that we put a lot of shows on together and stuff like that. But what people didn't know is that like secretly we had this really strong, amazing like like phys- physical connection like we never like dated publicly but we would always sort of just like when we could just sort of steal away and like have these like intimate moments you know in like the back bang. of bars or in like in like bathrooms and stuff like that and we just had this really wow. strong physical intimate connection and it was just amazing and everybody was just like what the fuck and mouths are open and then i go like I'm just kidding, you guys. Juwan would never fuck me, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. She never would. But uh, so, but it was really funny that I led them down this whole thing, and like, and even like other good friends were there, comedians like uh, Claudia Kogan and Julie Rossi were there, and they both were like, "What?" what? But yeah, it was. So basically, uh, I crushed <laughs> that show, you guys. But uh, anyway, Juwan, I haven't uh, talked about you with anyone in a while. I uh, I love you and I miss you. And wherever you are, just like give me some sort of other Guns N' Roses video or something. <laughs> just let me know that you're okay because mm-hmm. I love you. Um, all right. Next song? Yes. Let's do it. Oh, shit. Okay. <clears throat> this one is by uh, Black Francis. Okay. Uh, A.K.A. Frank Black, the, uh, the lead singer of the Pixies. Oh, I'm going to see the Pixies in a few weeks. At, the, at Webster Hall? Yes. Emily's dad uh, signed them. I don't know if you know. This is a total what? inside. Can you baseball. get me a ticket? I can't. No, I only I only could get for me because he knows Frank Black. Do you understand how much I like the Pixies? I, me too, man. No, you no. don't know. No, you don't, you don't know. Wait, you couldn't get Emily doesn't have a ticket? Me and Emily got a ticket because we're going with her dad. Can you get me one? No, I'll pay for I it. I can't. <laughs> well, I might have another end to the concert. <laughs> but. I can't. Wait, 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 wait. Emily's dad knows Frank Black. Emily's dad signed the Pixies. He used to be their producer. Signed them to what? Their first thing yes. way back? Yes. He Wait, dis- Emily's dad is a music producer? Hugely well-known music producer. Like, big fucking deal. With who? Uh, I don't know the first. I is, is he able to help Emily? I mean, for with what? Well, she's a comedian. You know what I mean? Well, sign her to... <laughs> Signed her to a music label as a comedian. He's retired. He's retired now. But he, I think you're gonna say he's retarded. He's yeah. retarded now. <laughs> I he's so, I love him. He's so fucking cool. He knows like everyone. He's all like, right, oh, all I right, know all right, all right. Wait, Je- can I? Can he introduce me to Janice <laughs> no, Joplin? She's okay. dead. I know, but, okay. But wait a second. Can I become closer with Emily <laughs> in order to meet her dad? In order to meet Frank? Uh, you know, good luck. Me, I now me and Emily are cool. Uh, but uh. We're not cool? No, yes. Yeah, I was just looking at my thing. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but, uh, look at you. Hold on. Hold on a second. I'm friends with, well, not friends, but I know Reed Paley, Ooh. who tours with Frank Black, and they have an album, Black Francis, they have an album called Paley and Francis. Anybody out there, if you guys want to hear an amazing song, sorry, we're getting a little sidetracked here. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to hear an amazing song 
by uh, Reed Paley, R-E-I-D space P-A-L-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Look up Reed Paley, Lazarus in Brooklyn on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. That dude's fucking awesome. He's like a Tom Waits meets Frank Sinatra type voice. Cool. And he's who Frank Black thinks is a cool musician. So wow. there you go. Yeah, good little plug there. Um, okay, Black Francis, what song? <clears throat> when They Come to Murder Me, skip to around 30 seconds. Black Francis. Yeah. And this song came into play, ready for this, Andrea, during the little talked about manic episode in Denver. Oh. The Denver. B-side. Yeah, this is a real B-side, you guys. As I'm like developing this podcast, I'm like, holy shit. I don't know how you stayed alive. What the fuck? <laughs> you guys, you guys, I we're, we're all happy that John, little Johnny's still alive. And uh, I really... Really, am, uh, I'm interested in to get some feedback if people are like, all right, let's keep hearing more. Because <laughs> there's so much more. How far in was 30 it? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah, let's see. The Denver one was maybe, um, I think, 2012, maybe? Manic in Denver, Jonathan. And P.S. Frank Black's solo shit, Black Friends, is fucking awesome. Like, listen how cool this song is. It's like pure rock and roll. Here we go. Such a good song. Here it comes. When they come to murder me, oh, I'm already gone bye bye. Block party. That's good. good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the sort of thing where block party sitch, but. That's so funny. But this is what that one is, guys. I was like, holy shit. Clearly, with the shit that I'm saying now or what I'm doing, like the forces to be, the fucking CIA, Carl Rove, whatnot, all of them, they're coming after the neocons. Mm-hmm. They want to murder me because I am going to expose their war crimes and finally get them. Mm-hmm. And I have the power to fucking get them put into tribunals and executed immediately for the fucking dystopic, war-mongering, anti-humanity agenda that they've been fucking pushing right horsemen of the apocalypse yeah 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 fucking bullshit right so but that being said i'm so i'm scared i'm scared because of that but when i heard these lyrics it gave me such comfort because it was like when they come to murder me Mm -hmm. i'm already gone bye bye meaning that i'm living in such a higher caliber of caliber of concentrate of consciousness that by the time that they would even come around to realize that i am the entity that is causing their demise i'd be like 10 steps ahead i'd be fucking gone and that gave me like comfortability in my skin to deal with my newfound strength (laughs) so what's good about that is when i meet frank i have something to say to him you know i have an in i know know you from the denver episode yeah and the denver episode i completely forgot that not I, I got arrested. I didn't completely forget that I got arrested, but I forgot. I haven't thought about this in a long time. I was going back through the air. Ah, that's another story. Fuck. Another two. We have many more. Many more times. Okay, guys, you're going to have to tune back in for the Denver story when I stole an iPod and got arrested <laughs> at the airport. That's a long story. Whatever. There's other aspects to it. Whatever. The airport. That's a common yeah. one, too. There's other stuff. Yeah. Airports. Love trouble. airports traveling. Um, okay, so that's that one. Bridges. You know what? Okay, fuck it. Real quick. I was trying to go to the airport. 
at, right before I was going through security, there was, for some reason, there was this little metal-y box sort of thing that was like outside of it that wasn't attached right by the conveyor belt where the stuff goes through. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was like, okay, this is some sort of training program See here that if, see if I have like the guts to put that through just to see what happens right. and get it on the other side, right? Right. Uh is, you know, see if I can sort of do this thing because I'm working for the fucking IRA. I don't even know anymore. But uh, so I don't know if it was the IRA that time. I'm not sure. So I put it in mm-hmm. and I go through. It comes out the other side or whatever. Oh, that's terrifying. And then I'm spinning around in the airport waiting for my plane or whatever, walking around. And I think for some reason that like my prize for doing this stuff is like I'm supposed to get that for some reason displayed – and this was, I guess, 20, I think maybe 2011 or 12, 12 or 13. I don't know. Uh, there were still iPods were still like mm-hmm, a thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just all on your phone, right? Yeah. So there was these small ones, the small squarish ones, uh, medium size or something. I don't know. And there was one that was rainbow colored mm-hmm. that was just prominently sort of sitting Aww. yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the iPhone booth or whatever. And then there was this, uh, this, this woman that were behind there. And I just like went and I just like grabbed it and like ran off or put it in my pocket or something like that. Cause I thought like I was supposed to be my reward, the thing I was supposed to get. And I think before that, I took that, I went into one of the, uh, I went into one of the stores and had a bag, like a duffel bag, and I just started filling it with stuff from the gift shop. Cause I thought that was supposed to be my Another payment. One of your rewards. Yeah. And I think I got out of there with it. I just did it and got out of there with what it. What you can yeah. do confidently is crazy. It is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, but then they got me for the, uh, you know, overtly stealing the iPod in the front of, right pod. in front of Rainbow One, right in front of a lady. And uh, then I got arrested, was in jail for four days. Uh, then I got, I was in this, then I got moved to a psychiatric hospital for, I don't know, a week or two, racked up so much debt uh mm-hmm. for that medical bills for that but you know uh little life hack guys if you don't pay it for seven years it goes away oh, yeah. i mean everyone in america knows that yeah hack. yeah you know i mean you can't like you know buy a house or a car or whatever but <laughs> who has a house or a car uh, exactly um and then i do remember when i got out of the hospital for some reason i really was perceiving some sort of like strong pixies connection but i don't know um anyway uh, one more song, and then we're going to wrap this baby up. This one, so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. This one's the embarrassing one, guys. Okay. Because uh, uh, you're, so, so, you're on the, so embarrassed about this. It's so on the nose. Okay. Mm. George Harrison, My Sweet Lord. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. You're so. Oh, come on. How fucking purely insanely unhinged egotistical of a human being can i be or could any person possibly be to think that this song is about them oh god from the beatles the guy from the fucking beatles i mean he's he's playing for you john you're higher than he is and he right John, 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 it's George. This one, guys, you know I can laugh at most of them. This one, cringy. Cringing. It's always been you, John. Don't make it sensual on top of it. It's a sensual song. It's not a sensual song. It's like a... It's a 
It's not a sexual song. It's a beautiful song. I will tell you this. It makes me cringy to tell people that I thought this one was about me. But the true testament to how beautiful this song is, is I still fucking love it. I can still listen to it. Yeah, it transcends just like (laughs) My lord, John O'Donnell, my lord. Uh, Comedian from New Jersey. Oh, you guys. Uh, I want to know you and your bits. Hey, if you guys have any uh, weird delusions or things you guys thought, why don't you write them in to uh, take your pills pod at gmail.com. I'll read some of them. I'll read them all. And uh, any songs you guys thought were about you or whatever. Uh, any experiences, really. All right. Can we stop with this? Hallelujah. Oh, God. Yeah. So... Holy shit, guys. I'm telling you, eventually I'm going to have guests in for interviews and stuff, <laughs> but I think for a while we're just going to keep riding the JFOD Insanity train because this is actually very therapeutic for me. Uh, holy shit. It has to be engaging. This must be a good <laughs> podcast. It must be. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for the next episode. And... Take your pills, psychopaths.